Well, this is Serve Sunday. And, um, you know, you, you need to, to know that in Scripture, we didn't just come up, come up with these uh, characteristics. In Scripture, one of the metaphors that's listed for the body uh, predominantly is, is that of a physical body. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about, you know, your physical body. has got a lot of different organs and appendages, and each one has a job to do. And, and your body is healthy as each one is doing its job. And so the, the idea that each of us has been gifted, if you're if you surrender to Christ, if you're following him, you've been gifted with a, a spiritual gift mix or individual gift for the purpose of employing it and building up the body. And as each of us fulfill the purpose for which we're created, the church, its health is, is related to that. Now, there's, as we talk about that, you need to know that, that there's a couple of reasons why we do want to serve. Not necessarily because we've got a bunch of holes to fill, though there are, are some, but primarily uh, because of a sanctification issue. If, in fact, he has created us unto good works and he has given us a, a gift, it's only as we practice stewardship with that gift, as we're doing that, which we've been called to do, that we end up looking like Jesus and smelling like Jesus and reflecting Jesus and knowing Jesus for, for your, for my sanctification, for our understanding of who he is, for walking close to him. It's imperative that we understand our, our gift, that we employ it. There's a second reason, though, and that is the urgency of the task. You know, if we could accomplish this thing that he's called us to do, in just natural uh, gifts and sweat and tears, we would have no need for supernatural gifts, would we? But sometimes we get out the graphs and our charts and everything else and we, we, we work hard and we think we're making great progress and we should work hard. And those things are OK, but we need to keep in mind that the church is not like the Rotary or the Lions Club or the Boy Scouts or, the, 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 or business. The, the church is a spiritual of uh, spiritual level. There is our battle is against spiritual forces. We have work to do on the heavenly places. And if if this is true, right, the stakes are heaven and hell for forever. And that's pretty substantial. The task that he's called us to, to, to work as a body is, is fairly significant here. Now, we've done some research even this past week trying to figure out how many um, ministry slots per week, how many people per week. Serve here at FAC. Now, I want want you to guess in just a moment, but but picture a a normal, busy time during the school year. How many folk do you think per week? Now, we're not talking on a monthly basis per week. Serve here at FAC. Uh, Guys in the front, you can't guess because you were just here last hour. But other than that, what do you think? Fifty. Hundred. Oh, there's a person of faith. What else? Okay, listen to this. This is interesting. I had I, I didn't come up with these figures just so y'all know. I didn't just invent these. Uh, and I double checked the, the math on this thing. But when you include nursery workers, Awana workers, Sunday school teachers, upward coaches, mops, table leaders, our divorce care ministry folk, ushers, greeters, hospitality team, those who serve and make epic work, choir, musicians, tech operators, food pantry, CLG leaders, life group leaders, youth group mentors, various Bible study leaders, and a lot of folk I didn't even mention, you've got 427 slots per week. 
that are used there. Now, maybe not 427 people, because I'm guessing some folk do two of these things or more. But, but you know, God help you if you do that. But either way, that's how many slots we have per week. Now, that number does not incorporate some very significant ministry teams here at the church that operate on a more sporadic basis, the Mercy Team, Benevolent, Board of Elders, any of your ministry teams, VBS, Harvest Fest. If you put all those things together, we're probably getting close to 500 people a week average. Y'all, we're a church of about 1,000. And when you figure some of those are children, we're at 60%. That, those are incredible numbers. Y'all should be very tired right about now because somebody's been working an awful lot. That's fantastic. Now, we don't want anyone ever serving here at FAC because of guilt. Now, you may put your own guilt trip on yourself, and that's between you and the Lord, but we don't ever want to do that to anybody. We, we don't ever want to have anybody serving here to the negligence of the other responsibilities that God has called them to, ripping off their family, hurting their work, other things that God has called them to. Uh, we recognize there are seasons of life where you, we, it's just your personal crisis has just taken everything to get through. We realize that. And that's between you and God. But after that's all said and done, for the other 40%, somewhere you have to ask, why are you not serving? I mean, how many of us would be happy if only 60% of our body organs were functioning properly? Well, that's good. 60% is good. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, life might not be real healthy if that other 40% doesn't kick in at some point, right? And so you've got to ask yourself why. Now, there are different reasons. And again, that's between, that's between you and the Lord. If you and the Lord got that squared, that's wonderful. But I'm wondering if one of the reasons, and I've heard this from, from folk, is that I don't know how to get involved. I'm not sure what's available. I'm not sure how my gifts fit. No one's asked me. I, I don't know where. And if, in fact, the issue is that we haven't communicated that clearly, which is a good possibility. We're very sorry for that. That's one of the reasons why you have the insert in your bulletin. Again, it's not all the areas, but it does include several of them. Now, as we're, we're, we're thinking about this idea of sometimes we just don't know where to serve, I'm wondering if there might be other reasons why we don't serve. I'll give you an example. I was at, uh, I went back several years ago for my 25th reunion at Moody Bible Institute. Um, I know I don't look that old, but yeah, I was there. And when I was there originally, I mean, I was right out of high school. And, and, you know, Moody at that point was a three-year school. We had our share of delinquent students. But generally speaking, you weren't getting a degree from the place. And so if you were there, it seemed like, to me anyway, that most of the students were relatively serious. And so walking through the halls and in the dorm, and there just seemed to be a, 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 an excitement. Uh, uh, everybody was, was young and zealous, and we were looking to see what God would do through us. And we were going to just light this world on fire. We were going to be the generation, and everybody had dreams and visions. I mean, that, the dream meter was, was redlining. We were there. Well, when I went back 25 years later, it was uh, a happy, sad time for me because I remember uh, at the reunion proper, there were a lot of folk there who were uh, just lighting it up for the Lord. Either God had called them to the marketplace, they were doing wonderful things there, or they were planting churches. There was a buddy of mine who was planting churches in Venezuela. You know, just some amazing things going on. And you're just excited. Yay, God! But you also knew that there were a lot of people not at the reunion 
And when you when you put the word out, when we began to talk, there's it's obvious that some of them just crashed and burned. They'd walked away. Their faith had dried up. They, they, they weren't doing what they knew, what they dreamed about doing. There was a, a, a moral crisis of, of some sort. And so I, I wonder, is there anybody who ends up thinking, you know what? I, I, yeah, one day I wanted to do all this stuff, but you know, I just don't have time. I've grown cold. Uh, I, I'm not cut out of that cloth. Someone else is going to have to do it. I'm just not a Billy Graham type person. So we want to, we want to look this this morning at this this idea of of spiritual failure, because most of us are pretty good at putting up the front of, of talking about our victories and successes. We're not looking to to brag per se, but we want to hide sometimes the questions that that, that surface in in our hearts. And there's really no I don't think there's any case study in Scripture more clear on this than Peter, the the, the story of Peter. You know when Jesus first calls Peter. In John 1, he says, your, your name is Simon, which means wavering, unstable. That's who he was. And then Jesus said, but you shall be called Petras, rock. I said, encourage him. Well, OK, I like I like this. And so so Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. And I don't think it can be emphasized how much Peter left to follow Jesus. He didn't just leave his vocation. He didn't you know, change vocations midlife here. He left. Uh, his fishing business, which was his daddy's fishing business, which was his granddaddy's fishing business, which had been in the family for a long time. He could, you, you know, there's not a lot of uh, options here. You didn't go to tech school and learn something new. You were, if you were a fisherman, that's who you were. This is your identity. You didn't just go do something else. This is what you were about. And when Peter walked away from that, he was ba- basically shutting down his inheritance. He was done. He was finished with that. He was leaving it. And then, then uh, he walks to follow Jesus, but you know as well as I do, his, his following Jesus was speckled with failure, wasn't it? Remember the, the, the walking on the water incident? There's the water, he sees Jesus walking, he says, hey Jesus, can I walk? And Jesus says, yeah, come on out. So he takes off across the water, and he gets halfway out and he realizes, what in the world am I doing? And he looks around for the boat, can I dive back? And it's too far, and his guys, who knows what, what the guys in the boat are doing to him. And there's Jesus, and he starts to sink. And Jesus pulls him out. And then Jesus rebukes him. I'm thinking, Jesus used to rebuke the guys in the boat. They didn't even get out of the boat, but he's rebuking Peter. And then, then, then Jesus starts telling about how he's going to die one day. And what does Peter do? Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, not going to happen. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him. It means he yells at him. He calls him probably the worst name Jesus can call anybody, Satan. That's got a huge rebuke. And then they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the guys come to get Jesus. And Peter pulls his little dagger thing, and he starts slashing around at people. And Jesus, what does he do? He rebukes him. He says, Peter, put the sword away. You don't understand anything. Cut it out. Well, Peter then, in his ultimate form of denial, walks. Maybe he's thinking, I don't understand. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. And he ends up denying Jesus. It's Matthew 26. I think we got this on the screen. Uh, Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. This is Matthew 26. And a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, keep in mind, in this culture, very bad, women were second-class citizens. So if you were a kid woman, very, very bad. If you were a servant kid woman, you know, it just doesn't get a whole lot worse. And this servant kid woman is challenging Peter, and he's denying it. 
goes on. It says, then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, didn't swear at them, swore to them. I don't know the man. Now, this curses uh, uh, oath thing, you got to understand what's happening here, because he's not saying, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. He's not even going down the triple dog dare thing. This is bordering legal separation. This is this is like a, a opposite of a baptism. He is going public to say. I don't know him. I don't want to know him. I want nothing to do with him. Don't associate me with him. This is, this, is, this is a very binding sort of deal. You didn't just walk away from this and say, oh, I was just joking, made a mistake, sorry, temporary insanity. He locked himself in publicly, like a backwards baptism. And, and that takes us to John 21. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 21. It's our text this morning. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now, most commentators will agree that what's going on here is kind of an opposite thing of what happened a couple years earlier. Peter left his boat. To follow Jesus. Now what he's doing, he's officially leaving Jesus to go back to his boat. Maybe he's thinking, you know, I've tried to do this Christian life thing. And I just keep messing up over and over again. Obviously, it's not me. I wish it was me. I wish I could do this. But I can't do it. I failed and failed and failed. It's just easier to quit trying. Maybe maybe you've been there. Where, Where you really want to serve him. You want to do right. But that temptation keeps coming up and you keep falling. Or, or you've been given a great opportunity to share for him, but you chickened out. Or maybe you tried to say stuff and you got it all turned around. I mean, Jesus himself couldn't figure out the gospel and you got done with it. And you, you got that all twisted up. Or, or, or maybe that you had some, some bare confidence coming out of your lips, but you know your heart was not as confident. And you're feeling a little bit like a hypocrite. And you said, you know what? I wish I could serve him. I do but it's just not me. Hudson Taylor, I'm not. I'm, I wish I was. But when I get to heaven one day, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be good. But until now and then, it's just a waiting game. Wait for me to, to get there. That's kind of what Peter's going on. And this is why this text is so important for us. Because Peter's going to have an encounter with Jesus. Short encounter. But when he leaves this encounter, when John 21 is done, his faith will be, will be Acts faith. The rock that's what he'll be by the time this chapter is done. And so what I'm hoping, what I'm praying, I know he's done this multiple times for me in this passage, is that you will meet with Jesus this morning on, on this very issue. 
So one of the, 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 the key elements to persevering when we're struggling, when we lose spiritually, is remembering our calling past. Okay, it's, it's remembering our calling past. Verse 4, let's keep going on in the text. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, I believe what's going on here is Jesus is in his providence is creating an incredible situation that when he's done, Peter's going to say, deja vu. I've been here before in Luke chapter five. Let me read this for you. I don't have this on the screen. This was this was a couple years previous. Jesus first calling of Peter. Luke chapter five, verse one, it says one day. As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which, by the way, is the same thing as the Sea of Tiberias. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's all the same. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and throw down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. He realized who this was, who controls the fish, right? Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Look at John 21. You notice some of the things in John 21? Sea of Galilee, Lake of Genesaret, Sea of Tiberias. They, they went out, they fished all night, didn't catch anything. Met Jesus in the morning. He told them where to fish. And they caught so many fish that their nets began to break, right? ton of fish. Two years earlier, Luke chapter 5. What? Same place. Lake Genesaret, Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. Fished all night, didn't catch anything. Met Jesus in the morning. He told them where to throw their nets. They threw their nets and they caught so many fish. And, 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 and Jesus is, is bringing the, the situation to remind Peter of his calling. Way back when. He said, Peter... Do you remember when I called you? Did I call you because you were such a wonderful guy? Because you had it together? Because you were pulling it off? No. What did you say? Didn't you say, Lord, depart from me, for I am a wicked man? And did I argue with you, Peter? No. Because you were. And you are. Now, Peter, didn't you, don't you realize that I knew what you were going to do? Don't you, 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 you will be so small. Don't you realize that I knew you were going to trip up and you were going to say the things you said. You're going to do the things you did. And yet I called you anyway. Peter, if your salvation is not based on your performance, what's to make you think that you're continuing with me is based on your performance? It's, it's not. Now. Sometimes it's really easy in church world, isn't it, to go down this road? I mean, I love God's grace and forgiveness. You accept it, and you, you, when you first see it, it's incredible. But it's easy to get into a performance trap. 
I'm going to start feeling like I've got to do and I have to accomplish. And when we trip and fall, it amazes me. You know, you know, it amazes me. Not that I trip and fall, but that this surprises me. That's what amazes me. That I'm surprised at it like I ought not to. Because it's our feet of clay. We will until we reach him face to face. And what Jesus is saying here is reminding Peter, Peter, remember your calling past. I didn't call you because you had it all together. I'm not going to use you because you have it all together. Because it's about me, Peter, not you. And then, then look, in 20, chapter 21, we're in John still. Verse 7, I think I'm at. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here it amazes me about this. Is Jesus had just poured years into Peter. Probably not too many folk he'd poured more into. And then Peter publicly says, I want nothing to do with him, and walks away. You'd think Jesus would say, well, fine, just go. But Jesus chases him down. And you'd think Jesus might come at him with a two-by-four and say, listen, man, after everything I've done for you, what's going on? And just smack him upside the head. But what does Jesus come with? Breakfast. And, and we know the Oriental culture where, where, where you don't eat with everybody. Uh, eating is a sign of intimacy. It's why Jesus says in, in, in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and do what? Sup with him. Eat where I play racquetball with him, hang out. No, no, I will sup with him because they understood that you don't just eat with anybody. Eating is a sign of deep intimacy and loyalty and commitment. And here Jesus is coming after Peter when he's blowing it pretty huge and says, I desire deep intimacy. Not Peter, go straighten out your life, buddy, and then come back and we'll eat together. Calls Peter in. Says, Peter, can we have fellowship together? Can we be together? It's good for me. It's good for you to remember way back when, when you accepted Christ. And the freedom that you had. Tell me, did he call you because you were a righteous person? His grace hasn't changed. His forgiveness and faithfulness and commitment, his rules have not changed. Remembering our calling past is so significant to our perseverance. But also, remembering our our calling present. Verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Now, a couple of phrases catch my eye here. First of all, the more than these part. What's that about? Well, I think what Jesus is doing is he's talking back to an event that happened between him and Peter. 
We've got the next text. Oh, yeah. Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never leave you. So Peter's probably looking at the other disciples and going, yeah, these knuckleheads, they're probably going to all walk away from you, Lord. Yeah, you nailed that. But me, I'm solid. Remember, Peter, that's me. I'm going to make it. Nope, not a problem. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. But we know that in the garden he did disown him. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's remembering Peter's words. Though everyone else blows you off, Lord, I never will. And so Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you, do you love me, Peter, more than these? And the uh, second thing that's interesting here is his word choice. It's, it's, do you truly love me? You see that if you've got the NIV, truly love me. You know, there are three words in Greek for love. There's eros, which is a romantic love. There's agape, which is the full-orbed, 100% committal love. And then there's phileo. We get the word you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, phileo. Um, it's, a touch, it's a touchy-feely, but it's a good, it's a commitment, it's a friendship love. Well, G- Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, Jesus uses the word agape. Do you Agape me, Peter. And then Peter's response, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I. Peter doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. Basically saying no. Agape. Let's not kid ourselves here. We know me. I know me. I was a time when I was saying agape. I'm not saying agape right now. I have the feeling that if Peter would have said, yes, agape. Basically, John 21 is done, and Peter's falling off the map. God's going to, Jesus is going to have to raise somebody else up. But Peter said, no, I, I know me. I can't say agape, Lord. I'm sorry. I wish I could. I can't. And again, you'd think Jesus would say, after all I've given for you, I've died for you. If you can't be 100% committed, if you forget it, we're done. Or he might have said, okay, here's a real menial task, Peter. If you want to, okay, I'll give you a room in my kingdom. Here's a menial task you can do. But look at what Jesus, look at the job he gives Peter. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter, I'm getting ready to leave earth. I need someone to take over the church for a while. I need someone to disciple these people, to be the primary teacher shortly. Would you do that, Peter? I don't think Peter was ready before, before this, he needed to see his brokenness. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 16. He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He still uses agape, but he dropped off the more than these part, right? Okay, we're not comparing. Yes, we shouldn't compare. I understand that. Do you agape me, Peter? And Peter looks back and says, yes, Lord, you know. Phileo. Can't say agape. I, I, I want to, but I, I can't say that. And Jesus says, Take care of my sheep. I've got a task for you, Peter. Feeling like you're a failure. Feeling like you trip up. Feeling like you stumble. Because you do. I still have a task for you that is not dependent on you being able to say agape. It's not dependent on you getting it all together. And you nailing every aspect. It's not dependent on that, Peter. Then in verse 17. This is the third time he said to him. Simon, son of John. Do you love me? 
Peter was, by the way, you notice there's no truly there, right? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Now, the reason why he was hurt is not because Jesus asked him three times. But this third time, Jesus uses the word phileo. Peter, phileo. And, and, and is Jesus calling that in question? And so Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know how I've denied you. You were right there in the courtyard. They were taking you from one building to the next. You saw me when you heard me scream out that I have have nothing to do with that man. You know all things. But you know my heart, too. You don't just know my failures. You know my my, my love for you. I I want to. So, yeah, phileo. And Jesus is good. Peter, finally, I can use you. Who you were was this big until you went through the fire. Now it's microscopic. But that which is left is gold. And in your brokenness, in your understanding of your failure, now you're usable. Listen, if if you're conscious of your own sin and failure, you're feeling unworthy, you're in a place Jesus can use you. If you're not conscious of your own sin, if you're not, you can't say with the Apostle Paul, I am the chief of sinners. You know what? You're probably not in the place you need to be. Peter's conscious of his of his calling past. He's conscious here now of his calling present. Your service is not dependent on you getting it together. And then the Lord was going to remind him of his calling future. Verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. You'd think, man, this is not very encouraging. You're going to encourage me by telling me that if I follow you, I'm going to die? I don't think so. Where's that encouraging? Actually, for Peter, this was encouraging. And I think for anyone who's filled with his spirit, who's seeking to follow him, it is. Because let me ask you, don't you want to finish well? I mean, isn't that a primary thing? You just want to finish well. When I was younger, I was going to light the whole world on fire. Then, well, maybe just the United States. Then, okay, hopefully my family. Now I'm just praying, please, Lord, let me finish well. Let me just finish well. And one day, what happened to Peter, according to Eusebius, is that people stretched out his arms, and they clothed him with the Roman cross, and they led him to a place he probably didn't want to go, And he was crucified upside down for the Lord. Previous to this, when the test came, he failed. The knife was up to his throat and he walked away, wimping out. But Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, if if you fulfill your your calling present, you're doing what you're supposed to do, conscious of your calling past, I'm telling you, there will be a calling future. I will purify your faith. And you will exit this place. Well, you'll pass the test, the ultimate test. So let me ask you. Where are you spiritually this morning? Maybe there's a stain that is on your spiritual resume that you just can't erase. Maybe it happened a long time ago, but but still chaining you down. This morning, Jesus would come to you, not with a stick, but with breakfast, saying, hey, I've got a task for you to do now. And you follow me with it. I'll empower you with it. And your end will be joyful. Maybe you're here this morning. You have wandered away. 
from him. You used to, you, you knew him, you walked with him and all. But busyness and pleasures and pain and just all that stuff, life happens. And you just kind of walked away. He's coming this morning to you. Now, he doesn't want you to get away with breakfast, with intimacy. Saying, remember your calling past. It was grace. And I've got a task for you now, not when you get your act together. And if you follow me with everything you've got, you're going to exit in joy. There will be a calling future. What a better time to, to celebrate the Lord's table, to remember his grace, what he's done for us then this morning. Would you, would you bow and pray with me? And I want to give you an opportunity where you sit. You know if the Lord has come to you this morning, offering intimacy with him, offering fellowship, offering breakfast. You need to know he's got a a job for you. I don't know what it would be. Maybe it's nothing on that, that list, on that insert. It'd be your need if you're following responsive to him to seek out whatever that might be. Lord, thank you that there are no second class spiritual citizens. Thank you that if every one of our stories were told in its completion to everybody else in here, on one level we would be deeply ashamed, and on the other level your grace would shine so powerfully. We come before you this morning thanking you for our calling, Lord. Thanking you for the task that you've given us, a a job of significance, of importance, to serve you. Not based on who we are, but based on your grace and on who you are. And thank you for your promises. We want to commit even this time, Lord, as we gather around your tables. You would offer us a meal. Would we come? In the name of Jesus, amen.